I resonate with where there is energy, you know, so the Franciscan church, you know, there's an, there's a group, there's a green team there, you know, and I want to be able to support what they're doing there. Um, and at the same time, there's another church, a church of the Holy city, um, which is literally supporting spiritual entrepreneurs. This is a podcast called walk, talk, listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Okay, good day everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest. Well, introduce yourself. Kelly, please go ahead. Thanks, Maurice. Uh, my name is Kelly Moulton. Um, I am a professed secular Franciscan and co-founder and co-convener of the Interfaith Public Health Network and have also worked for Bronx Health Reach for the past 13 years. Okay. And... And can you tell us a bit before we go into some of the details of, you know, the work that you're doing, where did you grow up? Because now you're on the on the East Coast, right? And and did you grow up there? And, um, you know, where did you go to school and how ultimately that that's to the work that you're involved in now? So, yeah, I grew up in New York, um, right outside of New York City. Uh, I was in Westchester County until middle school. Then my parents moved up to Orange County. Um, so it was very diverse where I grew up. Um, and then when I moved, um, I had more opportunities. The new school district that I was in, um, when I was in high school, I was able to participate in an authentic science research course, um, which gave me an opportunity to uh, do some research with a professor at Columbia University, Mailman School of Public Health, uh, studying the genetics of breast cancer. Um, and when I was doing this work, I learned about oxidative damage to DNA and thought about the role that antioxidants in foods might have in preventing the damage that leads to cancer. Um, and that helped to lead to the decision for me to study nutrition in college, um, which I did at the University of Delaware. Um, and also another opportunity I had when I was growing up um, in Orange County, New York, was um, participating in the Capuchin Youth and Family Ministries. So this is a Franciscan youth ministry program that was tied to the church that I has I'd been going to at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it this gave me the opportunity to really experience authentic Christian community um, in terms of the retreats that we would go on, the service projects that we would do, just the community that we would build. And this really strengthened my spiritual resolve and my desire to um take my career path in a direction that would help bring justice to the margins of society and ultimately deciding to work to address health disparities. Um, and so this all influenced my work um, in doing both science, um, both in public health and nutrition, as well as the path that I've taken through my faith, um, my faith tradition in the Franciscan community, and then ultimately doing more interfaith work 
mm-hmm. um, as I wanted to be inclusive of other faith traditions in my work as well, and decided to bridge these two areas of public health and faith together through helping to establish the Interfaith Public Health Network. Mm-hmm. And we work to um, facilitate impactful relationships between faith communities and organizations to advance public health. So that all sort of <laughs> led me to the work that I'm doing now um, and also speaks a bit to my interest in combining together work in food and food systems and work with faith communities as well in particular. And that, that's very interesting, uh, um, uh, Kelly. Two questions from, from, from your parents or family. Uh, how is that? What, 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 was your faith influenced by by their faith and also in terms of the topic of interest well, did you get that from you know, from uh, from your house from your family as well or was it really because of you know your interaction at the university that you got interested in that so i mean growing up going to catholic church was definitely influenced by my family my parents took us to church every weekend um but the my career direction not so much i'd say mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my my parents, my dad's an accountant and my mom has done different um, secretarial work um, over the years. And I think it was just because of the opportunities that they gave me in school um, that really helped me sort of decide on my own path for myself. Um, but I do have uncles and, you know, other relatives in different fields related to environment. And it was actually... Um, because of a, a colleague of my uncle, um, whose wife was the professor at Columbia University. That's how I got connected. So it wasn't my parents directly, but other family members um, who did help me to get in that direction of um, studying science. And so you grew up in New York, but you know now you're in. In DC area, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. How did that happen? So I got into a fellowship about two years ago mm-hmm. called Abrahamic House, um, and it was an opportunity to live together. Uh, it was Christian, Jewish, and Muslim fellows living together for a year and organizing interfaith events. Um, so that's what brought me to DC originally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and your yeah. T- tell then, you know. Um, how many years ago did you start with the IPHN and where do you hope it will go um, and where is it at the moment that's as is important maybe yeah so we started the interfaith public health network about five years ago mm-hmm. um, it came off of the tail end of a campaign um, that my colleague had organized um, called building an alcohol ad-free transit where he had organized the faith communities um, in New York to Um, organized for removing alcohol ads from New York City Transit. And so it was a successful campaign. And afterwards, we decided that we wanted to start the Interfaith Public Health Network to organize faith communities around other issues of public health. So we've done a lot um, on food policy, and but we are also looking at several other public health issues as well. Mm. Okay. And, and, um, you know, Yeah, what type of projects are you doing at the moment? So we started off doing an interfaith public health roundtable series Mm -hmm. um, in 2019, and then we are picking that up again this year. 
And so I did a roundtable conversation in Columbus, Ohio. We're planning another one in New York soon um, and a couple other cities. And we also just had a successful campaign called Sweet Truth. Um, and we were able to organize faith leaders in New York City uh, to advocate to get sugar warning labels in New York City chain restaurants, which is the first type of policy of its kind in the country. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, and we've done that with the Center for Science and the Public Interest. And yeah, we're, we're looking at a couple other similar campaigns, but I really am hoping that this idea takes off related to the Interfaith Public Health Roundtables, because I think it's important to bring uh, people of faith together around the table to talk about the issues impacting the local communities and solutions that they can take in order to address these issues in partnership with um, the expertise of public health organizations that are really leading the way in terms of thinking about potential policy solutions. If you think about, let's say, five to 10 years from now, what, what do you hope that your organization you know, is doing? What are you? Yeah, what, what are the, some of the long-term goals? I do hope that we are able to expand, you know, a lot of the initial work has been in New York City, um, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that we are able to create, uh, you know, strong communities across the country that are working for public health in their own, in their own neighborhoods. Um, and people who are really directed by their faith and understanding the connections between the social justice teachings of their faith traditions and the work to address uh, social determinants of health. Um, so this is a language in public health that might not be familiar with people outside of the realm of public health, but we really want to bridge these, these worlds together to get people all working towards the same goals. Um, so yeah, we really want to be able to um, better articulate that to more people and get more people involved because I think there is a lot of interest in bridging the divide between uh, the public health sector and faith communities um, because they don't always work together. You know, often our communities are very siloed, and I think it's um, can be really impactful if we can get people using um, similar language to address the issues that are impacting our communities. If people would like to know more about your organization, where should they go? Do you have a website or? Yeah, so the Interfaith Public Health website is iphnetwork.org. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, feel free to jump on there. We're in the process of, of doing some revisions to the website, so it's not done yet, but there is a lot of basic information you can find on there. Okay, great. We make sure that we mention it in the in the podcast notes. Yeah, tell a bit about uh, your, your fellow. You just came back, actually, uh, from a trip to, to Kenya. I was part of that um, as well, right? Yeah, share that with, uh, with the listeners. So yeah, last year in 2022, I was a member of the Rockefeller Acumen Food Systems Fellowship, uh, which was the first year of the of the fellowship. It was part of the first cohort. And this year was the second cohort. And so uh, Rockefeller Acumen brought us back to meet this year's cohort and brainstorm 
ways that we can work together. So the fellowship itself was a lot around leadership development. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't really have a chance to think about how do we work together to improve food systems. So bringing us together in Kenya uh, this time was an opportunity for us to really start thinking about that and thinking about what it'll look like to collaborate, what are the different parts of addressing, uh, creating sustainable, well, nourishing, resilient, and equitable food systems. <laughs> um, and how do we create that together? Um, because all the different fellows represent all different areas of, of work within the food system. So we really do have a lot of expertise, especially within both cohorts now. If, if people would like to know more about, you know, the what you are doing as a fellow or if how they can become maybe a fellow themselves. Do you have any tips there? And is there a website as well uh, that they can check that out? Um, so I don't know if there's going to be another cohort of this exact same type of fellowship, um, but acumen.org, I believe is the website, would tell you about the different fellowships that they offer. And a lot of the work they do is in um, other countries, not in the U.S. They do more, work more in developing countries. Um, but they do offer uh, fellowships across different parts of the world. Okay, yeah. Hey, and then the, the um, one of the other things that you mentioned we, we, is your work in the Bronx. And um, yeah, what, what are you doing there? Yeah, so I manage a program called Creating Healthy Schools and Communities, uh, mm -hmm. which is a grant from the New York State Department of Health. Um, and we work to create communities that have um, healthier uh, food, and opportunities for physical activity, um, especially in schools and community settings. Um, so it's really about creating the policy systems, environmental changes in order to make it easier for people to make healthier choices. And um, ultimately, Bronx Health Reach works to adjust the health disparities in the Bronx, which continues to rank last in health outcomes in New York State, um, according to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation County Health Rankings Report comparison with the other work that you do that that's much more hands-on than the other two jobs that you have the others are more you know policy related and this is maybe more as i said hands-on is that is that correct you know if you would compare the three things uh that we just you know we're in, yeah sharing with the audience about what you do or or not i mean it's very grounded in community which I think is really important. Um, yeah. And I've been really happy that, you know, this is where I've been starting my career mm -hmm. um, because you really get a sense about what are the real issues impacting communities. You're not just talking about policy from a theoretical perspective, but you're really thinking about what's going on at the local ground level. You know, what are the issues that people are dealing with in their schools and their, you know, church environments? And, you know, why is it difficult to afford and access healthy foods? in communities and, you know, where are the gaps in terms of food and nutrition education? Um, and where are people being impacted by a lot of marketing of unhealthy products? Uh, and, you know, why is it difficult for people to get physical activity outside? So you really get a sense about like, what are the concrete challenges facing local communities? Hmm. And, you know, where, yeah, what is your hope then for that particular uh, project, where it would go, you know, for, let's say you know, five years from now? I mean, I hope that the Bronx is able to move out of last place in 
in health outcomes um, in New York State. You know, that's the goal of the Not 62 campaign. Um, but I, I really think that we need to be tapping more into, um, you know, the what are the roots of of these health disparities? You know, how can we really be addressing the root causes of of the poverty and the health disparities? And so I think it's it's more than can be accomplished through government funding, which is very siloed, um, which is part of the reason why, you know, we created the Interfaith Public Health Network um, is to be able to really speak more into how do we address health disparities? How do we bring the voice of faith and the voice of the, the social justice teachings that we have within our faith traditions? And how can we really mobilize more to address all of these disparities, you know, these economic injustices, they can't just be solved, you know, overnight through, through simple government programs. You you mention actually quite often the, the word faith, um, so that's important to you your your faith. And when I listen to you, you're you're raised a Catholic, but you're not, you know. Now you're, yeah, you changed there. So talk us through that. So you know, of from your upbringing, okay, then you get exposed to other um, teachings. Um, and what, yeah, what, what does faith mean for you in, in your work, in your life? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, um, an adventure. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've always been, you know, connected to the Catholic church, but I've also had a lot of experiences outside the Catholic church in college. I was part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and really got to know more of a, um, you know, ecumenical perspective on Christianity, meeting people of different denominations. Um, and, you know, when I moved to New York City, got involved with New York Faith and Justice, saw what it looked like to put faith into action for social justice. Um, and also I had gotten connected, got reconnected with the with the Franciscans through the Franciscan Action Network and got connected through them with Green Faith. Um, which introduced me to some concepts around um, interfaith organizing for environmental issues and really understanding that um, all major faith traditions have ecology at their spiritual roots. Um, and that was really um, important direction for me. Um, it was really important in terms of my, my path and sort of opening up more to um, interfaith understanding and also still being grounded in an understanding from the Franciscan tradition of how important eco-spirituality is, you know, that we all are part of nature, you know, and that we're not above it. And we have to see ourselves as interconnected with the rest of creation. So I see what that looks like from a, from a Catholic perspective um, in the Franciscan tradition. By the way, there are, there are also Franciscans that are not Catholic as well. Um, and it also opens me up to understanding about the importance of eco-spirituality and other faith traditions as well. So I sort of sit at this place in between the Franciscan tradition, um, ecumenical and interfaith understanding. Um, and I really, I think about this sometimes when I was at Capuchin Youth and Family Ministries, 
you know, they have this tagline called make faith your own. Mm. And it was really um, sort of a touch point for me because I felt like I had the freedom to not fit into a particular box of what other people were telling me to believe, mm. but to really question my faith and to, to think about the bigger um, perspectives out there. Um, and that really helped me to understand that, you know, the, the spirituality within the Catholic and Franciscan traditions is also aligned with the spirituality of other faith traditions as well. And I mean, Vatican II is very supportive of um, ecumenical and interfaith work um, through Nostra Aetate. And there's, you know, there are different ways to engage in ecumenical and interfaith work through the Catholic Church and through the Franciscan tradition. So I really um, hold on to those and, and use that as a bridge and as an opportunity to um, collaborate with people regardless of what tradition they're coming from. Mm. Um, you know, you know that this podcast is a spin-off of, um, of a 100-mile walk that I started in 2012. And, um, you know, when, when I'm accompanied by uh, people during those days for a mile or you know, 10 miles or, the, you know, the full 50 miles that I, on average, um, walk uh, per day, um, we often talk about spirituality and religion and then often talk about, uh, you know, the younger generation. So I'm, I'm, on the one hand, I'm kind of, you know, intrigued because you're relatively young and, you know, you, you, uh, I know the people you work with and uh, relate with are also young and, and faith seems to be part of, the, you know, of how you work, how you look at life, that you discuss about. Um, but my guests on the, on those walks often say, well, you know, this younger generation, they are changing. They're not going to church anymore. Um, and then some say, yeah, but you're still spiritual. Um, anyway, I'm intrigued. Um, and the listeners know by now that I'm intrigued by this younger generation, religion and spirituality, what is happening. What do you see happening in uh, among your, among the youth in your community with regard to this? Um, yeah, going to church, religion, spirituality. Um, because I, I, I do think that, you know, there are so many challenges out there. And, and um, what, what is necessary to solve them together is to understand each other. And, and you know, if faith is still something to look at, um, which I think you've, you, you know, that's your opinion, that it is important to look at that. How do you do that? So what do you see? First question, and then second, yeah, um, how do you talk with all the different um, communities out there and, and where spirituality or religion sometimes plays a role and sometimes not? Yeah, so I think the, the young adults that I am in touch with um, all very much care about climate change and the polycrisis, you know, as I know it's called. Um, the various different interconnected uh, issues that our society is facing today. Um, and I think in general, younger people want to see faith put into action um, and faith that responds to the issues um, that are facing the world and not just talk about spiritual issues as if daily life is separate um, because they're really one in the same. And uh, people want faith that brings meaning and shows shows them how to live life. Um, and so if that 
you know, if the spiritual component is separate from the lifestyle component, then it really makes it difficult um, to see where the faith and the spirituality fits in um, and, and the religion, right? The, the structure of the religious institutions. Um, and unless young people see their, the faith institutions uh, making the connections, um, unless someone is, is showing them what it looks like to put faith into action, then they might look for meaning elsewhere. Um, and I think that is a lot of what's happening as more and more people are leaving um, the faith institutions. Um, and the other thing is that I think a lot of young people feel an existential crisis, um, you know, given the state of climate change. And since older generations have left a world for youth to inherit, that is not a healthy ecosystem. You know, we have so much of climate changes and all these um, ecological disasters um, that, you know, people don't know what to do. And, you know, there is also some skepticism when they hear that um, we're putting hope in the younger generation because it's like, well, you left this world for us and you're just going to give up and, and make us do all the work, you know? So, um, you know, we, we do want a seat at the table, um, but we, we want it to be in a way that is, you know, reflective of like a intergenerational approach. Um, and the other thing I think is important is that, you know, youth need a meaningful path both to be able to uh, make contributions to a better world as well as to feel like there is meaning in their life. And I know that there is a high rate of uh, mental health crises among youth. Um, and I think it's really important for multiple reasons then to make sure that there are pathways uh, for youth engagement for creating a more positive world. And, and thanks for that, uh, Kelly. And, and but uh, so so if, if I understand you correctly, so what you're saying, you know, youth are, are looking for um you know faith in action so it's not only about you know a prayer in a church but it's also okay how do you bring your faith to your work or in, to your community etc and then if youth don't see that into the institutions that they go to in the church then they might go somewhere else to another church or another community um but you you are still going to church right so is your church in action or or um how, how does it work for you because you're still going right yeah i think i um i resonate with where there is energy you know mm -hmm. so the franciscan church you know there's an there's a group there's a green team there you know and i want to be able to support what they're doing there um and at the same time there's another church a church of the holy city um which is literally supporting spiritual entrepreneurs and finding ways to, you know, support those of us who are trying to find innovative, way, innovative ways to put faith into action uh, through our career paths. And, you know, I, I feel connected there because they are nurturing who I am as a, as a whole person. Um, so, yeah, I think I just gravitate towards where there is energy um, that's going to support me and, and the goals that I want to see in the world. Well, I, I know because this is how we um, we met as well, you know, through work at the UN around the SDGs. 
um, you know, we as a world have identified 17 sustainable development goals that we should reach before 2030 to really make our world a whole, to, my, to make it more sustainable. Um, on average, we are at 15% um, of those goals. So, you know, a long way to go. Um, some folks say this partly because of the poverty crisis, wars, etc. A growing group of people are saying that it also has to do with that we are not paying proper attention to the skills, abilities, and knowledge that you need as individuals and as community to work on that. And, you know, as a result, um, uh, inner development goals were um, developed. The goal number one is being and thinking, relating, collaborating, and acting. Um, so I have, I have a question about that. Uh, to you and um is that also what you're talking about when you talk about faith and spirituality faith in action is that kind of you know it's not only about uh, processes and systems that we need to change but we also need to change ourselves and and um so does does the the whole concept of inner development goals does that does that resonate with you is that do you feel it's similar or is it different than what you call faith in action? Yeah, I do think that the inner development goals has a lot of very similar language to the teachings of faith traditions. Um, I actually see it as just a, a secular way of, um, of sharing a lot of the the values and the teachings that we find within faith traditions, but finding a way uh, to share it through secular audiences and you know those who want to improve the sustainable development goals, but might not necessarily ascribe to a particular faith. But I, I do think that um, they're really like the same types of teachings. Um, and they encapsulate a lot of what I think faith communities are already familiar with or should be familiar with. Um, and, you know, when I look at them, I also think about um, what's called the pastoral circle, um, which starts with what is the experience, you know, that people are going through? What's the social analysis of why, you know, people are going through that experience? And then what is a theological reflection? Um, like what does our faith teach us to do about it? And then what is the action that we're going to take in response? Um, and it, so it's this iterative process. Um, but I see a lot of similarities between the steps of the pastoral circle um, and the, the work of putting faith in action um, you know, as what you're talking about related to the inner development goals, I think first we need to understand ourselves and then think critically about the situations that we come across, um, empathetically relate to others in different situations, and then collaborate and carry out actions that contribute collectively towards shared goals. Um, so I think that's how the inner development goals relate to you know, the, the steps of putting faith into action as I see through the pastoral circle. Okay. Let us, let us uh, try to take a, a deeper dive on, on, you know, we have to know uh, ourselves. Uh, I would like to know you more. Um, why, why do you get out of bed in the morning? You know, what drives you in life? Yeah, so... Um... A really big interest of mine is around creating more of an understanding of food from a spiritual perspective. Um, and it might not be something that I can really do on a 
day-to-day basis yet. Um, hopefully, <laughs> I'll find ways to do that as my career develops. But um, I mean, you know, when I think about our ourselves as as human beings living on this planet, you know, we have food that is grown, you know, in the earth. You know, cr- our Creator has given us this food growing from the earth. And we should be really grateful for it because it keeps us alive every day. Um, and yet the food system that we live in is highly industrialized. It leads to large public health crises, diabetes, obesity, um, you know, cancer, all these different diseases that also lead to high, <laughs> high uh, costs in our healthcare system, and as well as environmental degradation. And we are very disconnected from the source of our food. And we need to create a more sustainable, regenerative system, focus on local and regional food systems, uh, food that is not as processed, uh, food that is uh, produced through better treatment of animals, um, caring for workers along the entire supply chain. and using less harmful chemicals and pesticides in the food system, producing healthier food, ultimately having more respect for the food as is grown naturally, um, and making sure that fresh food is accessible and affordable for all, including in low-income communities. So that's something that I really care about that um, you know, drives a lot of my work and you know, my interest and passion in um, the work around food and faith and climate and public health. And um, do, you, do you think it's possible to, to, uh, that, that this world will get there? And I, 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 I will raise one issue, for instance, is that, you know, if for, for certain uh, smallholder farmers, you know, in Honduras, you know, they are growing avocados and you know they, they are growing that for export so you know if, if we would only grow locally then that would be problematic so how do you is there then a transition period that you think about how do you see that well i think that we have to have a balance i mean we understand that we live in a globalized world mm-hmm. you know people are always going to want foods that aren't produced locally Um, But there are also, it's a balance because I think um, in some respects, we have to recognize that food is going to get, you know, transported from other parts of the world. But in other respects, there's a lot more food that we can be growing and eating locally that we're not as much. You know, right now, so much of our farmland in the U.S. is used to grow like corn and and soy and, and, you know, these these ingredients that get made into processed foods and ultra processed foods and the corn that's grown isn't even edible, you know, half the time. And so I think if we're able to shift towards more biodiversity in terms of what's grown and not have as many um, monocultures, then we'll be able to have food systems that can nourish local communities. But right now we don't have as much of that because the the farm bill and the the crop subsidies are set up to incentivize growing these inputs into products that get made that are not healthy for us and that they're not as local that get made into processed foods and transported all over the world 
So I think there's there's a lot of room for growth between thinking about, you know, the fact that maybe avocados and bananas aren't growing in our backyard and um, you know, the fact that we're our kids are eating a lot of these um, you know, chips and processed foods on a daily basis really and that's not healthy for them. It's not good for the environment either. No, thanks for for sharing that. And you know, as as you as you know, um, yeah, uh, ending hunger, poverty, uh, you know, that's close to my uh, heart as well. It's one of the reasons that I started also the the hundred mile walk in twenty twelve. Um, you know, to end hunger and poverty and and uh, injustice. If, if you would be asked to to walk one hundred mile in a week, um. Yeah, would you walk for the same cause that or that I did, or is there some another cause why you would walk hundred miles in a week? Yeah, I think like I was saying earlier, um, I'd really want to be able to raise more awareness about uh, food from a spiritual perspective and how we can create better food systems there. Um, I actually did a I, I wrote a food system vision prize proposal. Um, a couple of years ago it was during the pandemic um, was a challenge that Rockefeller had put out. And it's a 30 year vision for how faith communities could transform the food system. Um, but I don't want it to take 30 years to get funded. You know, I'd really like to be able to to raise more money for that type of vision. Um, I think it's important. And I think there's a lot of work to do. And I think it can build a lot of community by bringing people together. Situation is pretty grim you know if you listen to you the things that we do wrong um you know um the the goals that we are probably not going to uh, reach before 2030 you know is this do we still have hope and and if so where do you see hope? where do you see hope yeah i think there's a lot of places to see hope um you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, putting faith into action, I think there's a lot of people doing that. Um, people who follow the social justice teachings from their faith traditions. Um, Pope Francis wrote Laudato Si on care for our common home in 2015 and just wrote Laudate Deum um, earlier, um, about a month or two ago. And I think those who support this type of work within faith communities, it's very hopeful. Um, also, people willing and eager to work intergenerationally for climate and support youth and young adults on their spiritual path, as well as those who embrace creation spirituality, um, really recognizing this eco-spirituality and that which connects us to the earth and our creator. Um, it's really about you know, there's there's a movement of people who focus on being ecocentric rather than egocentric. And I think that is definitely where I find hope. Um, people who can look inside themselves and see what changes they may need to make internally in order to support the common good. Um, there is an element of self-sacrifice that actually leads to everyone being happier. And people who do everyday actions to support community cohesiveness, such as when people came together during the pandemic 
or come together during other times of crisis to help make sure people's basic needs are being met. Um, I see hope in, in all of these different spaces. And and where are you within this journey? Because you you know you mentioned also you need to work on yourself. You, you know, uh, yeah. Where are you within that? So I think for me and probably those of us in a younger generation, maybe say under forty, um, who want to do the work that we're called to do, that we're um, that we're uniquely called to do that aligns with our passions, with the world's greatest needs. Um, you know, I, I want to feel supported and I want others to feel supported with the resources needed to carry out this work. Um, there's a growing group of young adults who have been carving out a path for ourselves in doing work to mobilize support for ecologically sound ways of living. And we want the financial resources and for older generations to help foster spaces where we can also be spiritually nourished in doing this work. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just at this point where I really want to be able to see these projects come together, um, do work that's more at the intersection of food, climate, health and faith. Um, and not. I don't want to have to worry about, you know, where this funding is coming from to sustain my livelihood every year. You know, I, I really would like to see it more supported and and likewise for other people in similar situations as me. You know, I think we all have really big visions that we want to see for improving the world. And we want to see um, like established institutions and, and people that do have more ability to make things happen, um, you know, providing the support that we need in order to make it happen. Okay, I'm going to push a little bit back, Kelly, on this, um, because I understand that, you know, what, what you're kind of describing, and there's a growing group of people that would like to see this world that focuses more on ecocentrism than ego. Um, but where are you within this? Because you, you also mentioned before, you know, you need to know yourself. Do you know yourself well? Um, you know, where do you feel that um, you might have to grow yourself? And, and how is that going? Hmm. You know, that's an interesting question because I feel like there's a there's a theme that's been coming up over the past couple of months in terms of aligning values and actions. Um, and, you know, it's been in a book I've been reading recently. And then in my food systems fellowship, I wound up facilitating a session on aligning values and actions based on this interfaith statement that the Faith and Food Coalition had put together. Um, and it's really made me think about, you know, I, I think I generally have, have good values, right? But have I really articulated them for myself? Um, and what am I doing to better cultivate those values in my life? So I think maybe that's where I am personally is being able to better articulate my own values for myself um, and then make sure that I am practicing actions that align with those values. You know, I have a question for a while now around uh, one simple act of kindness and and the potential to create a ripple effect. Um, I have two questions around that uh, for you. And one is, 
Um, what are your thoughts about one simple act of kindness and its potential to create a ripple effect? And then the second part of the question is, if I would ask you now, right now on the spot, um, to come, you know, come up with one simple act of kindness that you would do this week, um, what would you do? Yeah, so I think it's a important thing. I definitely believe in and agree with the idea of creating a ripple effect through through putting more positive change out into the world and, mm -hmm. and doing those acts of kindness. Um, I've actually, the book I've been reading recently is The Light We Give by Simranjit Singh. Um, and he talks a lot about getting into the practice of doing loving actions and the motivations that he finds in his Sikh faith for doing so. Um, and again, he talks about aligning our values and actions. And for this reason, I think it's important that um, we look at, you know, what's going on in the everyday world? You know, what are positive stories happening? Businesses doing good? Um, you know, what kind of things could be shared, um, which don't normally get covered in the news? And how can we lift those things up? Um, so I think that's one way of doing acts of kindness is really just lifting up. Uh, positive stories of, of people doing good in the world. Um, and I think one thing I've thought about for a while, and it's like on my to-do list, but um, really just, you know, thinking about some people who have really had a positive impact on my life um, and writing a snail mail letter um, and, you know, as a way of getting in touch and offering up encouragement and, and continuing to build community. So is that what you will do this week? Yeah. Right. Yeah, write a letter to one of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Um, hey, what I also try to to aim for with this podcast is really connect people, and and then you know I, I have a specific question that 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 puts you in connection with another person, and that is in this case the previous guest. And um, the previous guest had the following question for you. Where in your life do you feel the absolute most present and aligned with your with yourself? Um, so which moments in life do you feel as connected to yourself as possible, but maybe also in other ways, like when you feel connected and, and aligned and um, centered, like which areas in your life or which moments um, do you feel that connectedness? Um, I think so I feel most present and aligned when I look at the overall picture of my work at the intersection of food faith spirituality health and climate um, individually I think the projects I work on often feel disparate and disconnected but when I look at the bigger picture I can see how the efforts are aligned with each other and complement one another and there are moments when I see how one project is supporting another project and it helps me feel like I'm in the flow of what I'm supposed to be doing, especially when I'm asked to talk about these intersections. I feel like I have the freedom to talk about the interconnected issues in a way that is genuine and not take a siloed cookie cutter approach because the reality of life is interconnected and it doesn't do anyone justice to ignore certain issues or impacts on certain geographic issues. As Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So I really like being able to take that approach and looking at the interconnected issues. Your question for the next guest. 
Yeah, I am curious if there's a lesson from a book or something that you've read recently that seemed to have direct relevancy to something you were trying to achieve. And what was the lesson that you learned? Great question. Um, yeah, mu music is very important to me. So I always have a question about music as well. Um, if I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song that embodies for a big part who Kelly, you, are about, which song or piece of music would that be and why? So I'm not very well versed in the sphere around music, but there was um, one song that came to mind that I think um, really embodies a lot of my values. Um, it's called Colored People by DC Talk. And the song talks about all people as equal in the eyes of God or the creator um, and acknowledging the harm that has been done to certain racial groups and that repentance is needed for all of us to live together in harmony. And for me, racial justice has been a lens through which I've looked at my work in public health and food justice. And I see it as doing my work with people of different racial backgrounds because they're equals to me. Um, but also recognizing that, you know, I'm not trying to be there to come up with all the answers, but to come up with solutions together. Um, you know, as the saying goes from South Africa, Ubuntu, I am because we are. Um, so I feel like this song really embodies how interconnected that we all are as people and also recognizing the need for reconciliation and healing um, because of so many um, bad things that have happened in society over history and that continue to continue to happen, um, but that we can come together and see ourselves as all children of God and the creator who are equal. Can you can you repeat the uh, song and and the artist one more time? It's Colored People by DC Talk. Okay, and uh, we will add that to uh, a Spotify playlist that we have made. Um, if you go into Spotify, you search for walk um, hashtag Walk Talk Listen, you will find all the songs that uh, were selected by the guests of uh, this podcast. Kelly, any message of invitation or question for the listeners? Um, I guess just the last thing I want to share is how important I think it is for networking and moving out of silos mm -hmm. um, and doing cross-collaboration between movements. Um, so, for example, anti-hunger community um, can work more collaboratively with the community working on climate change. Um, and, you know, public health sector should work with the faith communities. Catholics can work with Protestants and Christians can work in interfaith spaces. Um, we can work intergenerationally. And yeah, I think each group has something important to share with and learn from the other. And since everything is connected, we'll be more effective if we work across movements rather than always preaching to the same choirs. Okay. Um... Yeah, no, these conversations always go fast. So, um, yeah, it was great um, talking with you. Thank you so much for your willingness to talk with me today and share your, your wisdom and all your experience. Um, 
Is is there any question that I should have asked you that I didn't so far? Um, yeah, I think that was pretty much it. I was just, you know, sharing about my passion for networking and why I believe it's important to move out of silos. So I think that was the other thing that I wanted to share here. Um, yeah, I think I think that the SDGs are important. Um, and we need to recognize that we are part of nature, not separate from nature, and so that we can all work together to achieve these common goals. Actually, I, I, I do have one more question for you. And, and I know you're working on this, that your organization, IPHN, together with you know CWS and the, the Alliance to End Hunger, uh, are working on this. And, and that is, um, you know, you work, uh, in the U.S., and this uh, government um, has come up. Well, there is a let's put it this way: there is a policy, there is a national strategy on hunger, nutrition, and health. Um, so I know your organization, my organization, think that's a good thing. Um, but I also know that we would like more people to know about it. And my question to you is: Why should more people in the U.S. know about this? And what can that particular strategy do for them, you know, for somebody who's living in, you know, Kentucky or, or uh, you know, Ohio or, you know, name it. I think the national strategy on hunger, nutrition, health um, is, is really important for recognizing all of the different ways that people can be involved with improving uh, food environment in local communities. Um, you know, it's about improving access to healthy and affordable choices, um, integrating nutrition in with the health sector, um, and empowering all consumers to make and have access to healthy choices. So I think all of these things are really important for more people to understand, especially as we are up against, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, food industries that make it harder for us to make healthier options. Um, we can be doing a lot more in our local communities and our local faith communities to make sure people can make those healthy choices, maybe to grow food um, and just to, you know, do as I was sharing earlier in sharing more about the spirituality of food and how we can connect more to food as it's grown from the ground and not have to um, eat as much of the ultra processed food products that are out there that are making us sick and making our our planet sick okay we'd like to thank you uh, for today kelly and and uh, all the best with everything you do um yeah thank you so much and, and also thank you for who you are well thank you so much for having me and thank you for who you are too and for putting this podcast together it's been an honor to be part of it so thank you so much yeah no it was great Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.